Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Amari Sakasa, and just truly grateful that you are joining me today for another amazing episode. Well, sometimes the challenges in relationships is really finding the balance between me time and we time. And every relationship is going to vacillate between when does the relationship take the priority and when does the individual take that priority. But sometimes we really do struggle putting ourselves as our priority and knowing how to draw important boundaries that sometimes are really needed to make a relationship thrive. So joining me on the show today to talk about setting boundaries and the importance of setting boundaries in your life, in your marriage, in your dating, romantic relationships, and in work and in ministry, Joining me on the show today to talk about this and more is Dr. Jerry Crete, licensed marriage and family therapist in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and co-founder of the website Souls in Hearts, which is an online ministry dedicated to helping you Catholics integrate your faith and psychology appropriately within your life. Dr. Crete and I have a wonderful conversation talking about setting boundaries, the importance of setting boundaries, how to set boundaries, and what happens when we don't have good boundaries. We end the show by talking about just practical ways of being able to do this and to encourage you to be able to find some peace and stability. After the show is done, please check us out at faithinmarriage.org for other great episodes of the Always Hope podcast. Find out about our upcoming marriage retreats and all the wonderful things that we're trying to do at Faith and Marriage to serve you in your relationships. Let's get into this conversation with Dr. Jerry Crete. Dr. Jerry Crete, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for joining me on the show today. So introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm Dr. Jerry Creed, and uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and professional counselor in Atlanta, Georgia. I have my own practice, Transfiguration Counseling and Consulting. Uh, and I also do uh, a, a special project called Souls and Hearts, which is an online mental health uh, uh, program for Catholics. That's fantastic. How long have you been in practice? Uh, oh, in practice, probably as a marriage and family therapist, probably about nine years before that I was a school counselor before that I was a teacher. <laughs> but yeah. So I've had lots of adventures and, uh, and I've been married like 28 years. That's now. fantastic. Congratulations. So what was the transition from school counseling then to, to, to LMFT? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. It actually happened because I was working as a school counselor and I was discerning doing the doctorate. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would do my doctorate in um, counseling with a focus on like maybe how school counselors can be leaders or have more influence or something like this. But once I started my program and I, I uh, got really fascinated in the area of trauma. And I ended up doing my dissertation on male survivors of childhood trauma. Mm. So I complete 180 on that. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, I, I had, I had kind of gone down to part-time working in school. And then I started to work in a, um, doing some, a little bit of work in a uh, marriage and family therapy clinic and fell in love with working with families and couples and the whole systemic approach. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Yeah. Nice transition then from being able to do school counseling and then getting to trauma work. That's really amazing. Um, so being an LMFT, fellow LMFTs, uh, unite, I guess. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit of a professional mutt, not that people really are going to know the distinctions here, but at least we will. 
my, my doctorate's in a K-CREP program from, in a counseling program. And uh, so was my master's, but I hold the LMFT uh, license in, and that was really just kind of coming out of my grad school work. Before, I did eight, eight years between my grad school work and then master's and then my doctorate. Um, I really just wanted the LMFT. That was really the, the, the license. I didn't realize there were distinctions. I didn't realize this professional territorial, territorialism that kind of exists was really a thing. I really just wanted from a marketing standpoint to be able to say, I'm a, I'm a relationship counselor. I'm a, I'm a marriage therapist. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And so always wanted to kind of work with couples. And, uh, and so, so it is kind of funny being, having kind of by, I don't know, by, not by, what's the word, by licensure, I guess. I don't know. That's, 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 that helps nobody's offended by my terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just helping people, you know, doing, and that's all that really matters. Um, yeah. so anyways. Well, well all right. Philosophy behind, sorry, there's a lot of philosophy behind the different groups too, sometimes. And there's overlap. But I actually find the marriage and family therapy approach often very Catholic, consistent with the Catholic way. For sure. Yeah, because it centers around systems in, in recognizing that, that you're not just an individual self, that, that you are influenced greatly by uh, your family system, by your the larger cultural systems. And the interplay between who you are as an individual and who you are in the community is always kind of a tension. And, and that's a really beautiful Catholic kind of perception as well that we are, you know, together, one, one body, united communion of saints for sure. But at the same time, we're also an individual. And so how do we operate as an individual, even within a larger system? So yeah, love it. Yeah. Speaking my language. <laughs> All right. Well, actually that's a great segue to what we're going to be talking about today, uh, which is really kind of focusing in on when, when those boundaries kind of are, are off a little bit. And and speaking of that, so, so, you know, looking at the most local level, I guess we're looking at individuals in, in, in a marriage, really they're speaking about this and this kind of this balance between uh, me and we, like where, where am I? And then where are we as a relationship? I think that, that balance, that finding that kind of magic between both of those is really in many ways, what, what healthy kind of emotional boundaries and healthy relationship really kind of looks like. And, and the term that we would use would be interdependence where, where you have a healthy sense of self um, you know who you are, you feel comfortable in your own skin, yet at the same time, you recognize your limitations. And then in recognition of those limitations, which sometimes are not, I mean, often God designed, we all have some limitations that aren't even just products of sin. They're just who we are and limitations of our personality that we recognize when those limitations are, are operating, we need somebody else to make up for those. And so we, we fit together in marriages. That's why they say opposites attract. Because Usually that's the case. You do find somebody who tends to fill in where you're, you're lacking. And so finding the balance between me and we is really one of the challenges in a relationship. And so then what, what can happen is when interdependence isn't there or healthy attachment isn't there, we skew one way or the other, where, where sometimes we'll skew towards focusing more on me and, and, and independence, or sometimes we, we go in the other direction, which is codependency, we would say, or at least that's not my language here, in, in terms of saying, well, I'm overly focused on, on the needs of the relationship or putting the other person before me. So what, what do you think about just kind of looking at the spectrum of independence, interdependence, and codependency, and kind of finding that magic uh, uh, space in, in a marriage or in a relationship? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I kind of come at it still from a perspective of identity, mm. right? And that Catholic perspective of, having, of knowing who I am, right, in Christ. And so the sort of understanding of the, the self as created in his image, right? But distinct and unique. And I have gifts and talents. I have 
hey, I have weaknesses too. And knowing who I am and where, where all that is. And, and then acting out of that identity, right? So in other words, I know that I'm loved by God. I know that I'm created by him. And I want to express that outwardly. And I, and I do that in lots of different ways. And I also do that in relationship. What codependency says to me is that I don't know who I am. And I'm insecure about who I am. And so I need to find my identity in another person, right? And so I am this person's spouse or I am this person's, uh, well, it could be a child too. Like I am the parent of this person. And, and although those things may be true and important, it, that becomes the person's identity. And if they're in an unhealthy relationship, then a lot of codependence and a lot of the codependence literature comes out of substance use, abuse and stuff like that. Then I become, my identity is wrapped up in saving this broken person or in covering up or maintaining this person's addiction, right? And so there, now I'm in a relationship where my identity is outside of me, right? And then, and I'm invested in maintaining that right but it's all you're always going to be insecure in that state right so that's how i see codependence well why 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 then let's just focus on that then for a second i mean why are you always going to be insecure in that state then well i'm i come at it also i'm a trauma informed person so i come at attachment theory and everything from a trauma base so i would say first of all we are in a fallen world we're born into a fallen world and so we do have a predisposition toward, you know, sin, but we have a predisposition toward insecurity, right? Because we live in a world that has insecurity in it. We all experience some kind of traumas, no matter what. It may not always be capital T, like, you know, war traumas mm -hmm. or rape or something like really, really big, but we all do experience uh, adverse events, difficulties, challenges, wounds, right? And so, and these, especially when they happen in relationships. Right. So let's go back all the way to like our caregivers, right? Our parents, our first caregivers are imperfect, right? And even if they love us and are generally good, there's going to be woundedness somewhere along the way. There's going to be ways in which I learned that maybe I'm not good enough, or I learned that maybe, uh, or maybe I'm shamed in some way, like I'm bad or some, some, something gets developed early on that says, I'm really not that safe in my world. And so I, and the reaction to that lack of safety is to do various things. So one way is to maybe withdraw, mm -hmm. right? Into this kind of like uh, hideaway. Another way might be to get more and more anxious or clingy or needy or reactive. And so we have these different reactions because we're insecure. So what happens in relationships, we bring those insecurities, right? So sometimes we, we get in a relationship, we feel something negative with the other person, something bad happens in some way. And then we naturally go to our insecurity actions like withdraw away, hide away, or we react and we get clingy or needy or something. And all those are, you know, an attachment theory or insecure attachment styles, right? Is what I'm getting at. And, and that those play out. And, and really what our goal right? Or, or what we all need, what we all want at a base level is, is to feel secure and to feel safe and to be in relationships where there's trust and empathy and understanding and, and all that. And that's what we, we're, we're aiming for. And so in that me versus we that you talked about at the beginning, that's mm -hmm. where it's really key is that you learn 
I can be me within we and it's safe, mm. right? Even if I make a mistake, right? I, I have the other person has my back. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So if we're looking at this then from, from the language of, you know, attachment, you're saying that in, in relationships, in the patterns and dynamics that emerge when, when because of certain traumas that we've experienced in our life or, or, or woundedness or whatever, um, just getting through life, you know, no one gets through their childhood unscathed. And, and again, my parents, were no, nobody's perfect for sure, but the parents are good enough. They try. Most, most parents are trying the best that they can to, to raise us in an emotionally stable home. But nevertheless, we still certainly have certain relationship dynamics and, and fears that emerge and how to respond out of that. Do we feel, do we withdraw, as you spoke about, um, or do we become overly clingy in that? And so the, the, the withdrawer or the pursuer, to use that, that, that type of language, is, is sometimes what emerges just based on our upbringing. So we have to grow in our certain awareness of that. Um, and so I think what we've been focusing on and want to continue to focus on this is, is more on the, on the overly clingy side of things. Where it, it can, as you said, to some degree, become even more extreme. Where I think it emerges into being that codependent relationship where you spoke about earlier, which which really comes out of um, uh, you know enabling behaviors where you're really saying that like you fundamentally don't have a sense of self, and so your entire um, desire or or attempt to try to find some sense of of, of safety or security because that's really what motivates us in relationships is to then have to enable or to take care or to be overly responsible for the other person or, or to try to save the other person or to have to be the other person's uh, full-time caregiver, so to speak. And in all of that, then what happens is that when you become overly responsible for somebody else's emotions, the truth of the matter is that like nobody's going to be perfect. And so it's, it's a never ending, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a no win situation for you is what I'm trying to say. Because at the end of the day, like you're never going to be good enough to save that person. And, right. and, and, and that tends to be the trap where, where codependents kind of fall into is, is that type of thinking where, where they really just can't, um, uh, just they can't, they can't find any peace unless the other person is, isn't reacting uh, the, way, the way that they are. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's really key. And, and I think that um, if you're, if you're, hearing yourself a little bit in, in any of this, it, it's not unusual. I mean, I think we all have some codependence, you know, whether it's dominant or not, it's most of us have, are seeking that in other people. We're trying to get our security and things outside of ourselves and outside of God. Right. And so that that's, it's relatively normal, but when you confront, if you're living your whole life as a pattern, right, then that can be, um, uh, really difficult too later on. Like if my whole identity is my job, you, know, you can be codependent with work, right? Mm -hmm. Like my whole identity is who I am uh, at work. Then what happens when I retire, right? To my identity, right? If my whole identity is in my kids, what happens when they go to college and move out? You know, I don't have, then that's where all the, there's a lot of times there's a crisis, Right. It's, and, and people think, oh, uh, we're in a stage of life where I just have to focus only on my career or only we got to, you know, kids are here. No, if you don't have a secure relationship with God and with your spouse within a marriage, let's say, then, you know, you're not building that and living that through all stages. You're actually, first of all, you're, you're not really very healthy right. overall. 
and you're not modeling good things for your kids either. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah. So we often tell people, you know, you've got your relationship with God has to be number one and your marriage. If we're talking to married people here is number two and then kids mm-hmm. and then work. Mm-hmm. That priority is sometimes not what people have. Right. Um, right. No, for sure. It's, it's not. And so I guess you said that we can see a little bit of codependency, maybe a little bit of independence kind of inside all of us. And, and there's truth in that. And some, some stages of the, like any marriage goes through ebbs and flows where there are some times where you have to be all hands on deck. Like if your spouse gets sick or something happens where you have to focus and, and make the relationship or make the other person genuinely the priority over everything else and trying to just take care of them in a way that needs to be taken care of. Or there's sometimes where, like when I was doing my doctorate, for example, I, I mean, it, like I was away from the family a lot as I was writing, especially that year where I was writing the, the dissertation. I mean, it just, there was a lot of focus on, on me, so to speak, because we knew that overall, like if me getting the doctor would open up doors for the betterment of the family. Um, mm-hmm. And so certainly there's going to be seasons and ebbs and flows in a relationship over the course of time. But like you said, it's, it's not so much that there are elements of this in every relationship or there are seasons or times where one becomes more dominant. It's when overall, the overall pattern becomes one extreme or the other, whether it's complete independence or, or, or codependence. Because I find even with, with codependency or with that nagging and neediness, because uh, sometimes what happens is that, um, and we see this even with, with <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sure you've counseled this a, a number of times in relationships where couples who've been together maybe 15 years, where we can say that the wife is kind of nagging, and, and uh, this is just stereotypical, of course, but this happens where the wife is nagging and the husband refuses to engage. Um, well, what happens in that relationship is that uh, the wife uh, becomes mother and the husband becomes son. And that's not sexy, right? That's just, that kills, that, that's an easy way to kill romance, you know, right there is, uh, is, when, is when you fall into that kind of parent-child relationship again. And you think early on that they get married and it's like, well, I, I expected them to get better. I expected him to grow. But then he never grows. He never matures. He never becomes the man. Well, in some ways, because he never has the opportunity to do so. Or maybe at some point he does become the man, but the relationship has been built on this codependency that even this dysfunction anyways, so you can get into all these sorts of examples that I'm sure we've seen over yeah. the course of relationships. That this is why, like, even for couples who are listening to this that are dating, like, it's important to, to be honest and sincere with your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, even if you're, if you're married in the first couple of years, just get it all on the table. Like if there are things that the other person is doing that, that, that you're struggling with or that you're having difficulty with, like be honest, be sincere. Like don't, don't for the name, like, cause in the name of virtue, sometimes we sweep these things under the rug or we say, well, because holiness is, I'm supposed to put the other person before me at all times. This is what Jesus Christ says. And therefore I, I just have to kind of suck it up all the time. You can't, that's not a, that's not a long-term plan uh, for success in, in any relationship. Well, what you're saying really resonates. Um, I think that what happens a little bit here is that um, couples get into those dynamics, like you were saying, like um, as soon as if you're, if you're say the wife and you take a parent role, to, you're eliciting a child reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from the other person. So they're going to act like a child if you treat them like one and, you're gonna, and the whole dynamic is gonna play out. And then they say, well, what else am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get anything? How, how am I supposed to have anything happen? And this takes us really to, to me, the topic of boundaries, because if you have a 
to establish a boundary with someone is not really just about like, how can I get them to do what I want? But it's how do I protect myself in this relationship? And everyone has to, in a sense, protect themselves in a relationship um, in a healthy way. In other words, it's not okay for me to be in a relationship where I'm doing 80% of the work and the other person is doing 20. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. Like, or it's not okay for another person to demean and call me names, demean me and call name, call me names and be abusive. Like that's just not okay. Right. What are the things in the relationship that, that are just not okay. And then, and then once you establish those things, right, then you really do have to communicate them and have sort of a consequence to them that's about protecting you. Um, and so in other words, it really changes the way that you talk to the other person. You're not talking to them like they're your child. You're talking to them like another adult where you're saying, this behavior is not okay with me and it's hurting me. You know, I feel this way about this. And you know, if this continues, this is what I'm going to be doing right? We can talk about it, but this is where I'm at right now. And, and it, and it's not about like you, I want you to do this and you need to change now or else, right? It's not an ultimatum. It's a, this is what I have to do for me. Yeah. So again, if somebody then is, is, is struggling with, with having firm boundaries, because this happens not just in relationships, we talked about work earlier as well. So not, God bless the church. I mean, I know I've worked with the church my entire adult life, but I've counseled a lot of people in ministry who then feel that they have to give of themselves 110% all the time. And they're at the church all the time or doing work. And, and the boundary between like, it's really, it's really fuzzy because you're employed by the church, but it's your place of worship as well. And so are, are, is this work or, or is this serving God? Sometimes those boundaries become difficult when, when you're employed by, by, by the church itself. Or, or in, in some type of ministry, because you you know you're giving of the Lord, and you're supposed to be giving 110 percent all the time, or whatever. But like you have to just like relax. Like even for religious who are celibates, who like at the same time, like you you got to have some boundaries in terms of when you're on and and when you're not. And and it's hard because many people want to infringe on those boundaries for sure, but you have to be able to to draw them in a way that is makes it sustainable again in the long run for you to be able to serve the church or to be in a marriage uh, or, or to just to be a healthy individual. Um, there's a story of Mother Teresa that, that I've heard before talking about like setting boundaries. And I may have already said this on the show. I'm, I, I forget what I say on the podcast. So my apologies to the listeners if I'm repeating myself. But this one really, really connected with me was she, there was one point where the, the sisters were, they lived a very regimented life in terms of prayer and then service when they were praying and when they were at work. There's one time where they were in prayer and this homeless man came to the doors there in Calcutta and was banging on the doors and, uh, and was demanding basically for, for attention or something of that nature, needed some services. And mother opens the door and just politely says, listen, we're in prayer, come back in an hour or whatever. And he was demanding and angry and said like, no, like I'm, 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 I need help or whatever right now. And she says, listen, we need our time so that we can be able to help you and others at some other point and just kind of close that door. And that type of, boundary, many people would think, well, that's just harsh. Like, who is this woman and why would she do that? No, that, that's, that's just healthy. Like, like there's, there comes a point where, where you know that you can't give all the time. You can't serve. You can't save everything. You can't do it all, all the time. And so being able to just 
rein it in a little bit for your own self-care is, uh, is, is okay. It, it's, it's encouraged. It's good. Do it. Like it's okay. It may feel weird at first, but, but, but do it. I promise you, you're going to feel better in the long run because of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that example. That's really good. And I, I hear the dilemma there that how much do you give? Mm. How much do you give of self to anything? And I think that you have to question a little bit, sometimes our own motives. Hey, I know this is true for me. I can get really excited about a lot of things. And I know that sometimes that's my problem. I just get kind of passionate and I want to do more than I should. So I know that is at play. And sometimes I have to say, listen, these are all good options, but you can only do reasonably do these things and still have a prayer life, have some time to exercise and some time for recreation and some time for socializing. Like all those things are healthy and important too. Mm. So sometimes it's just that. Other times there's something else going on. And I know this is true for me occasionally <laughs> for others, but I might really get, uh, uh, I have to examine my motives. Am right. I doing this because it's like, it's going to give me uh, a sense of identity. Like, like it's going to make me feel better about myself. Right. That maybe my motives aren't always good. Mm. Right. In other words, am I helping this person and am I crossing, uh, uh, that's crossing a boundary in some way, like maybe overextending myself or, or something, am I doing it for a wrong motive? And really like stopping and being honest about that, that sometimes we, uh, it's that external reward. And those external rewards can be things like other people will like me. Uh, I might make more money. I might, and, and not that it's wrong for people like you or to make money. It's just that if that's your only, if that's your motivation, then you're not acting out of the self. Your identity is out somewhere outside of you. And that's Jeez. now we're talking codependence. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, this podcast just got real short because I think you started reading my journal. So we need oh, to no. stop. <laughs> that's just, no more, Jerry, no more. Uh, because it, it's true. I mean, we have to be very uh, intentional and, um, and this is what you talked about prayer and relationship. You anchored that right at the get, right at the get go. You know, you said we have to be anchored in, in our identity being in the Lord. Um, because even when we serve the Lord and when we do good things like this, it's really easy to, to then be motivated by other things that we may say, well, I'm, I'm serving the Lord, but I created that post because I really want to get as many likes as possible. You know, I'm serving the Lord, but I really did that because I wanted to get, you know, a little bit more. Uh, recognition by that person or something of that nature. And again, we all have these little, you know, shadow sides to use a Jungian term, you know, that that's present in all of us. And so it's not that they're inherently bad. It's just that you have to be able to have some awareness and understanding then, well, wh what are my real motivations for this decision? What, why do I really want to pursue that opportunity? Why am I really seeking that thing out? Um, and, and the only ways that you can get answer to that is, is by being in prayer and by having real developing the virtue of prudence and having a real sense of, of self and understanding of who you are um, so that you can actually be able to, to discern appropriately. But, but that takes time. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's, it takes years to be able to fully know how God operates in your life and, and what authenticity really means and being sincere with your motives and understanding those things. I mean, this is what Thomas Dubé, if you've ever read those book, Authenticity, um, that, that's one of the things he really speaks about with regards to discernment. Um, because he, just like you said, I mean, he's acknowledging that, that there is this, 
these elements within us that, that if we're being sincere, we're not always operating at, at, at a purity. All right, this is Dr. Mario. Just taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Jerry Crete to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. On faithandmarriage.org, you'll be able to find our full list of 2021 marriage retreats. We would love for you and your spouse to come and join us in the beautiful settings in Covington, Louisiana at St. Joseph Abbey Retreat Center, where we have a wonderful marital enrichment retreats dedicated to helping you and your spouse grow in prayer and grow in love with one another. At faithandmarriage.org, you can also check out past episodes of the Always Hope podcast or read some of our blog entries where I just have some random musings about culture and about relationships and faith. So check us out at faithandmarriage.org. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think that um, when we look at the parts of ourselves that seek those things out, right, that are willing to you know, ignore boundaries or, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, take on too much, then if we look closely, um, we might find that underneath that is a deeper need, right? Like maybe a deeper need. And this takes us to attachment theory again, a deeper need. Maybe there's a part of us that doesn't feel seen or doesn't feel acknowledged or doesn't feel delighted in or doesn't feel loved basically. And so there's an opportunity here if you look a little closer. It's not just, I don't want to shame that or just go, oh, I'm bad. I shouldn't have those, you know, uh, materialists or, you know, I shouldn't be seeking fame. I'm bad, you know, no. I think we need to look under it a little bit and realize, you know, what is, what, what does maybe God really want us to feel in that part of us that maybe feels less than or has that need? Maybe what we're really needing to hear there is, you know, you're good enough the way you are you don't need to do more today mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, you're, you're delighted in, right. God delights in you just today where you are and who you are. And if you can sit with that and really feel that, then maybe it'll change whether or not you choose this next thing or not. Now, maybe you still will decide, yeah, I'm still going to do that. Cause maybe that is God calling you, but maybe you'll have also the freedom to say, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need my affirmation over there. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Because then when we have that kind of groundedness, um, then we can operate outside of that. So going back to then kind of relationships, I know we've been talking about work and kind of all over the map here, but so again, we're both, you know, systems theory. So we're thinking systemically and pretty much, you know, in everything that we do. So we hope people have been keeping up with us, but bringing it back down to, to the relationship piece that, that, that really kind of spawned this conversation the thing is to say, it's not that we're shaming anybody who may be finding themselves in a codependent or, or in, a, in, a, in, a, in a nagging, uh, not even necessarily nagging, but, but an overly responsible kind of way, way of, of being in a relationship. We're not trying to drudge up shame. We're just trying to say, look, listen, recognize that, that within your heart, there may be other motivations here. And so what are those things? But what those motivations are typically are, are good. Everybody's seeking security. I mean, that's what we're after in a relationship. We're trying to find it. We're trying to, even when we're operating out of, um, out of withdrawing or even in an attempt to repair the relationship, it's really out of the sense of, well, how do I continue to grow and to, 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 to find the security that I'm looking for? So let's say somebody's in one of the, in a relationship like this where, where they find themselves giving 80 all the time or, 
or really maybe both relate, both partners are, are giving and just kind of missing each other. Where, where's a good place to kind of start when it comes to drawing boundaries in, in a relationship? Hmm. No, that's a good question. You just made me think of something there when you said that, like, I wonder a lot of times, maybe both, in some cases, both people are working past their boundaries, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think a lot of couples nowadays are both working overtime, right? And then maybe a lot of couples, you know, both are working even maybe outside the home and there's kids. So there's a lot going on. And then they meet later and they're stressed and busy and tired. And then they look over and they see, oh, this person didn't do that. Or did you pay that bill? Or did you clean the dishwasher? Or did you take care of this for the kids? Like there's something they didn't do and you're already overextended and they're already overextended. And now you're angry and resentful at each other for the things that you haven't done. And then, you know, they're back in your mind. You're like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to be in like this deep romantic and loving relationship with one another and have sex all the time and all this. Yeah, right. (laughs) No, and so... There, you know, so I don't know if that's where you were going, but that's the picture yeah. I had painting that I was hearing you. Uh, and so where are the boundaries? So we're both systems thinkers. So we're immediately thinking about the whole family dynamic. Right. Um, and I know that you brought up earlier, um, you know, have you done your doctorate a period of time after your master's and being mm-hmm. some kind of family and everything. And I, that was similar to me. And, and like for a while, my, my wife's career was actually more like the focus and I did more of the backup childcare stuff. Mm. And then at some point, cause I was a school counselor and I actually was a counselor at their school, like literally, so I could be there in the morning with them and take them You know, that was That's just awesome. what we did at that time. And then later um, she actually took a job, a role change where it was less climbing the corporate ladder and more of a lateral kind of like, but less travel, this kind of thing while I started, when I started my doctorate. And we didn't handle it perfectly because I think there was still a lot of stresses that we didn't really fully expect or plan for. But, but we did try a systemic move where she took a step back from her career and I took a step up so that we would have, she would have more time at home and I would, and I would have more time to do that crazy dissertation year and all that. So the way I look at it was we had to look at our boundaries in our whole family, you know, and maybe I think a lot of American families are, um, their boundaries are all over the place in the home, right? And everybody's doing too much and the kids are stressed and, and having issues too. So maybe to answer your initial question there is maybe we need to look at our, what's going on in our family, right? And is there, do we need, to, some things need to step back? And is this a coordinated effort? Because for some people that means, hey, I'm gonna go down to part-time, right? Or I'm gonna take a different career. It has an effect on the other person. And how is that coordinated and negotiated? And that needs to be something that you spend time in prayer with and you spend time talking with each other and that and maybe even having a, a longer term plan and vision for what you want your family to look like. Yeah. I, I have found actually w- with COVID um, that we've been able to slow down a little bit more, uh, which has actually been one of the real blessings of, of this time, especially the first couple of months. I mean, now er- kind of everybody's back up and running, I think pre- pretty, pretty much pre-COVID, I would say. 
But, um, but well, that's not entirely true. We don't have all the sporting events like we did before. But those first couple months where we were just home, um, I actually enjoyed it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I loved, I was able to work from home. I could do these interviews from home. I still went into the office to do my counseling sessions, but I did them all remotely and it was just me in the office by myself. So it was, it was safe. Um, but I loved being able to have that extra time because like you talked about all those other things that pulled us away from one another, that were all good things, but they, but they just kind of were too demanding. Too many things was happening or, or pulling our attention away from one another that COVID in some ways drew the boundary for us. It just kind of said, all right, here it is. Like we can't engage socially in these large groups. Okay, bam, there's the boundary. It's, 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 it's drawn for you. So how, what are you going to do in, in response to that? And yeah. uh, so we doubled down as a family. Like we, we, we got games. Um, uh, we, we bought more, like I said, board games, bought more games for the Switch that we could play together as a family. Um, we, we did more events. I was more open to renting movies or all, you know, all these, I mean, I love movies. I shouldn't say it. Spending a little bit more money, you know, on, on, on those type of things, buying for, you know, all that stuff, just, just so we had more time together in, in allowing for more of just that time to, 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 to be shared with us and not all these other things. But again, to your point, you know, like you said, it, it's really like couples have to be an honest conversation with one another about when they're feeling overtaxed or when they're feeling some resentment, you know, about somebody's career move or, or saying, okay, I've put your career ahead of mine or, or, or now it's time. When, when is it going to be my time? Or if those things aren't spoken about, even when those first movements are happening or, or there aren't regular checking in throughout then it's very easy for for resentment to kind of kick in. Um, for for us, my wife has has stayed at home the, the whole time, and um, I did my master's early on. Like we got married, took a couple years off from undergraduate. Uh, we did missionary work, and then I started my master's program. And I had Gabriel, my oldest. Um, he was six weeks when I started, you know, my master's program. And so we pushed hard for those first couple of years, and, and it did that. Yeah, that was great. Living off of student loans with a with the stay at home wife and and a child. Uh, at those good times, good times, you know, like, yeah. but, but, but the reason is because we felt that that was what was best for the family. And, and even now that, you know, the kids, we have our youngest is six and never really begun having these conversations with Kristen and being like, okay, well, what, what, what's coming, you know, like what, what else do you want? You know? And, and she doesn't know yet. And that's okay. You know, we're praying and, and, and letting the Lord kind of guide us for what that means. But I never want to feel, and we've been in agreement about her being homeschooling and, and taking care of the kids and, and educating them. And that's been a, a real life-giving experience for her, uh, which is awesome. And, I, and I've supported and want to support it as, as much as possible. But it's those type of conversations that, that need to happen um, that, that really, again, back to this kind of frame of honoring what's working for us and what's working for me. Because in, in a perfect system, what's working for me is what's working for us. And what's working for us is what's working for me. And it, it should be there should be harmony within that. Although, of course, we know that that isn't always the case, which is why we've been talking so much about it throughout the show. Um, so you said the first thing then would be to have these conversations. Um, but let's be honest, not every spouse is always going to be on board, you know. So so what then? What what if what if there is, and I don't want to say malintent, but but a continual pushing against those boundaries, even when those things have been vocalized. And again, not even in, not an abusive extreme sense, but just maybe there's some negligence or maybe there's, there's um, some lack of willingness to want to hear what the other person is saying. Um, What would be your encouragement in that situation in terms of continually setting those boundaries? Well, 
I mean, it's tricky, right? Um, and there's so many variables. So I can think of a hundred different kinds of scenarios. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, that I have to figure out which one to kind of go with. I would say though, um, that to go to come at it from like the back end and then move, move or front end and move backwards, like the idea of secure attachment that we're talking about, about having a relationship where there's trust and, and sharing and all of that is itself scary at first because we're talking about a lot of vulnerability within the relationship and that means opening up and trusting and 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 sometimes that requires their like marriage counseling good marriage counselor to help you work through that and get there but it's actually like to everybody's advantage so if you if you're in a relationship like that where you feel like you know uh it's so safe and it's just like a a, a refuge to be with your 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 spouse is like a refuge is the one person who understands you and cares for you and listens to you. You can be vulnerable with all that, like this amazing ideal. Well, that is just so life-giving when, cause you have a, a powerful thing going on when it's, when it's mutual and it's dynamic and, and you know, and each one is like wanting the best for the other. And that's happening simultaneously. It's kind of like good sex. When you, when you're both giving to each other, it's like, it's how it's a mutual powerful experience it's not just the taking from the other person so um so that has to be the ideal that we're striving for and and like you're bringing up the point like well what if the other person isn't interested in, and that's hard because um i would be calling them to something better right if they're unwilling then then that means you, if you're having to set boundaries around um willingness is very challenging because mm -hmm. sometimes that means like if you've got a spouse who's an active alcoholic or you've got a spouse who is abusive you know maybe it's just verbally or just but even if they're verbally abusive they're not physically necessarily but they're they're just na they're just toxic in some way then then you're you're probably going to have to come up against boundaries you're gonna have to create boundaries that are really tough because it's basically saying i know that I'm imperfect and I know that I'm not, I'm flawed as a person, but I'm created by God and I, I, I deserve to be in a, in a safe and healthy relationship. And so this is, this is my standard and it, and, and it might be small boundaries. Like I'm just going to walk out of the room if you say something like that, or, or, you know, or we're not, unfortunately, this is the common one, but we're not going to be sleeping in the same room tonight. It's like, until this is, we talk this through. Right. You know, or, I mean, ultimately I can't live with you if it's really toxic and abusive or something like that. I can't sure. stay. So those are all boundaries, but they're not about like, I've got to control you. They're about like, this is not healthy for me and it's not healthy therefore for us. Right. And so if you're completely unwilling to meet me and talk about it or maybe seek out counseling. Then I can't stay in this. It's just not good. Right. I, and, and that piece about like not having control is, is a good one to be reminded of because it, this isn't about trying to manipulate or control the other person. It's just saying exactly like you said, like I, I need to know what's, I need to have some, some healthy sense of self and whatever the ramifications are of your actions, saying this to the other person are, are your own. And you have to learn how to take responsibility for that as well. And, and so that sometimes that's what elicits some change. Um, and, and we hope that, that by setting those boundaries, then I think you said this earlier, like they're, good for them too. I mean, like they're, 
it's healthy. It, it, it gives an opportunity for the other person to grow, even if sometimes that that growth is is slow going. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing with young people today is, uh, you know, we talk about like the big five personality traits, and and one of them is kind of a, agreeableness. And I just find, man, like I don't know, like it, it, and maybe it's kind of the the supreme virtue of, of today is is kindness and, and tolerance. And while those aren't bad virtues, of course, I'm not saying don't be kind, like, you know, don't be tolerant of other people for sure. Absolutely they are. But I think the unintentional consequences that, that's come about is that we find that in today's day and age, even when it comes to like the cancel culture, that people, you know, because you have to be agreeing about everything or you just react to the other extreme, that that doesn't seem to be an opportunity for for real growth in those those areas that that need growth. Like it's just like, like I find sometimes just even young couples, like they're just so agreeable. Like it just, have you, have you had a fight yet? You know, we're like, oh no, not yet. I'm like, well, like, good luck. I mean, like, that's like, you need to have a good argument before you even get engaged because you need to know how the other person's going to respond, you know? Like, are you not talking about the things that need to be brought up just because we're just trying to be polite all the time or, or agreeable all the time about things? Are you sure you're not practicing in Canada? Because uh, <laughs> I... I don't have these couples. You don't have these couples? All right, well, never mind then. I guess I'm practicing in Canada. (laughs) I'm in the opposite, so. No, but I I think I get what you're saying. I mean, I think there's a, if both both, uh, members of a a partnership are are, are conflict avoidant, Mm -hmm. and, you know, then they're really not growing. Like, I think that we, we grow through disconnections. So we have a disconnection with somebody we can't help it. If we're in a relationship, there's going to be disconnections. And, and if we um, enter into it, you know, and it's not about hitting them over the head, the other person over the head with a bat. It's about, I care about you. You're important to me. And the way you said earlier really hurt my feelings or what you did really, like I was, I just felt so much shame Mm. like, or whatever, like, you said this, you said that at the party and I, and I was hurt. I, I, I was, you know, whatever. And, and it's not, and again, it's a language that's about like, I'm talking to you from my heart here. And if you're in a relationship that, that is safe, the other person can be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Even if they don't even agree with necessarily the, how it played out, like they didn't see the events the same way, or they disagree with something. They, they care about the fact the other person was hurt or shamed or felt bad. They get matters, right? And, and often we go on the offensive and it's like a, a wrestling match. But what you're describing is like, not a wrestling match. What you're describing is you just, I guess it, you push it away. You just mm-hmm. go, well, I'm going to be nice. And so I'm not going to challenge the other person or tell them how I really feel. And I think when you do that, you're not being authentic, mm-hmm. right? And there's no opportunity to work through those those things. And I think after a while, being agreeable and agreeable and agreeable, and you putting things under the rug, eventually, like the other the person that is constantly kind of like ignoring things explodes. Mm-hmm. And then when they do, the other person's like, where did that come from? Who are Why you? Are you suddenly crazy. And it's because it was just built up mm-hmm. over time. Right. That's exactly right. And so again, we go back to the sense that like, articulating a need allows for security to take place. I mean, it, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. It's, it's when you're able to be authentic and to genuinely share 
what hurt or, or something that needs to be kind of corrected. Um, and you're able to then, the other person's able to meet that pain with empathy, with compassion, with, with concern. Um, it's that process of vulnerability and empathy, uh, that, that allows for security to, to be found and established within a relationship. Yeah. And, and so like a way to judge, I found like with like in dating couples I'm thinking about right now is that like, if the arguments are, are, are a non-existent and you haven't, you're, you're circumventing the challenging conversations that that's a red flag. But again, the other extremes are red flag too, where you're having continuing arguments or you're talking, everything is super heavy and you're always talking about the relationship and you can't, you can't, you know, or, or they're having arguments. I mean, again, all, all the time and they just seem to be heavy all the time and you just can't kind of keep moving. Like, that's the other extreme where, where there, there have to be questions, you know, about like, well, anyways, compatibility and all that other stuff. But like, it, at the end of the day, like, it's okay to, 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 again, be honest, to have firm boundaries, uh, to, to share uh, openly and, uh, and to allow that growth to happen uh, that, that should happen in, in, in a relationship. It's not selfish, you know, is what we're trying to say. It's, it's not selfish to, to have good boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, it's actually going to be overall helpful for both because having poor boundaries with somebody doesn't actually help them grow. And in fact, like you said before, enables the person. And I think it's interesting, um, even from a spiritual perspective, right? We, we, we have a tendency to, at least I don't know, I do sometimes, of being lazy Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or I should say, unmotivated. <laughs> and uh, what was that? Like, be what? Unmotivated. Unmotivated. Yes, absolutely. Think about it. Uh, but still, we have a tendency to kind of fall short. You know, like there are times when I don't feel like going to church, or there are times when I get a little snippy with, you know, with my kids, or I, and our spouse is there to go, okay, come on. You know, like they're there to challenge us a little bit. They're there to push us. No, come on, we have this commitment or whatever. And so. There should be this, we're, we're, want, we're holding each other a little bit accountable, mm-hmm. not a, like with a whip, I hope, but we're, we're encouraging each other and we're holding each other up and we know what's good for each other. And I think sometimes men, especially, have a hard time receiving that, right? So if we're used to the fact that if somebody challenges us, we defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like how we're made sometimes. So... And, uh, and we might later come back and rethink it, but in the moment we're going to, we're going to hit back. And so we can't, that is a pretty bad, like a really negative thing to do in, in a relationship. We, I think as men, we have to learn to listen, like, in a, I mean, I think John Gottman said this years ago and got some heat for it. We need to learn to listen to our wives, to be willing to be influenced by them. Right. And to be able to like, go, thank you for for guiding me and I think it goes both ways and, and, and women as well. And, and that, so now we're a partnership supporting each other in all areas of life, including our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right? yeah, in our relationship with God, God doesn't want us to be codependent on him either in the sense that what we were speaking about, like what God wants is healthy interdependence with him as well. If, if marriage is a spousal analogy, and it's, we're looking towards our marriage relationship as then our relationship with God to some degree, obviously all analogies fall short, but, but looking at kind of what is the substance of a marriage in the essence, that's the same thing. Like when we talk about growth and holiness, the classic definition of growth and holiness is what is, is, 
that um, my will conforms to God's will. And it doesn't mean that your will becomes obliterated in the process. It's rather that your will becomes perfected as it becomes in conformity with God's will. And so healthy, healthy, healthy interdependence is actually what happens in, in a relationship with God. And this is how we model the Trinity. You know, this is, it's funny, like even when we're talking about these kind of poles in a relationship, again, to some degree, when you look at heresies, Trinitarian heresies, they kind of fall under the same kind of dynamics. It's like modalism on one side, if I remember all these things correctly, I forget. And then what's the other one? Tripartism, if I remember, I'm sorry, excuse my, I don't remember this one, but the same sense as one God with three kind of personalities kind of existing out or, or, or three independent gods, you know, that, that are, that are there. And so these are the, the two extremes that exist in Trinitarian kind of theology and the heresies that are there. If I'm saying that correct, if a Trinitarian theologian is listening to the show right now, I'm sorry, you know, uh, you can send me a, a comment, you know, on Facebook or Instagram and tell me I'm wrong. But, but nevertheless, that we see this like in, 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 in our own spiritual journey is that like, sometimes we're like, God, can it just be easier? You know, but sometimes God wants us to grow in the midst of that suffering. God wants us to, 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 to develop that, that sense of self um, through the challenges that are there so that we do fall more in love with him and that we rest more with him and we have greater security in him. Um, it isn't that we ourselves, we ourselves do not get obliterated in the Christian journey. And again, right. it's, it's the exact opposite. It's that we become the best versions of ourselves. And this is why for us, you know, we, these distinctions for me don't exist in the sense that like what we do in relationships is, is, is often the vehicle that God uses to help us to grow in our path and journey of holiness. Like the things that, that, that we develop, the virtues that we, divert, that, that we develop as we're loving our spouses and loving our kids and God's using those people and those individuals and the circumstances as the means upon which that he wants us to grow into the best, best versions of ourselves. And so we have to be attentive uh, and we have to be honest and we have to be willing to grow and to, to deal with the discomforts of life um, and, and, and to not be quick to make ourselves martyrs, um, but, uh, but be willing to, to be honest and courageous and, and vulnerable uh, when need be. I love it. I, <laughs> a couple of times there, I was thinking I could add something and then no, you kind of said it beautifully. Well, wonderful. All right. Well, well, Jerry, this has been a great conversation. I think we're kind of coming to the end of our time. Um, but if people have been listening to it and, and, and have been enjoying what you've been saying, um, wh- what do you got to plug? How can people get more, more information from you? Yeah, well, I would love it if people came over to soulsandhearts.com and you can just sort of register on there and get our updates. We have, um, we, we put out blogs usually weekly and we bring in Catholic therapists around the, the uh, country to write blogs. And we have, um, we have a bunch, we have a couple of podcasts, the main one, Be With The Word. Uh, uh, and we're actually doing that in the next few weeks. And I'm really gonna be having a marriage focus for the second, ad, like Advent is about to start. And we started last year at Advent and Dr. Peter and I, and, and this coming Advent, we're gonna start, I, I'm gonna be leading the show with a marriage focus. So I may be calling you, uh, Dr. Mario. Sounds uh, great. I'm in some time. And, but we have, uh, there, there's communities on there too. There's one we have now called Resilient Catholics. And it's a, a community for Catholics supporting each other. And uh, Dr. Peter has another podcast. There's a bunch of courses. Most of them are all free. There's a couple, one that's Be Called for Vocational Discernment and one called Be True, which is for couples uh, struggling with, with a pornography issue in the marriage. So we've got, those are two paid courses, but we have a whole bunch of free ones as well. So just come on over. We've got tons <laughs> of resources there. 
And I'm also, my practice is Transfiguration uh, Counseling.com and it's in Atlanta, Georgia. So anybody that's interested in that, I'm going to plug that too. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Well, great. Thank you. It's a wonderful, great resource. We'll have links to uh, both those websites in the show notes so people can access them easily. So, all right. Well, Jerry, uh, final question to ask all my first time guests. What gives you hope? Ah, what gives me hope? <laughs> um, my hope is that is in, is in personal holiness, that God is there to transform each person's heart into his likeness. So we don't have to solve all the problems in the world. We just need to, to grow in holiness and love and it'll all, it'll all work out. Amen. Well said. That's, that's well said. Fantastic. All right. Well, God bless you, man. Thanks for joining me on the show. All right. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. That wraps up another amazing episode of the show. Again, just a final encouragement to you if you have struggled setting boundaries in your life, carpe diem, now is the time to be able to set some priorities of yourself and some of the things that you desire to do. It is okay. God loves you. God wants you to be the best versions of yourself. And sometimes you just have to be a little bit more assertive in your life. So take that as an encouragement. God bless you. Thanks for joining me on the show. We'll catch you next time. Bye.